Well, it's great to have you back today. How many of you are here for the first time since uh, we kind of closed up shop temporarily last uh, March? Anybody here? All right, several of you. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. And uh, wow, we, we just had a great worship set there. There's no doubt about it. And uh, we just uh, appreciate the band and the singers and the praise uh, team. And let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to begin a new series of messages uh, today on overcoming spiritual vertigo. That is the title of the book that I wrote a few years back. We're looking at that in our small groups. And so you're reading that as a small group and you're having discussion questions and some other teaching material. And what uh, we're trying to do over the East Campus and here is just simply trying to do something complementary of that. Now, because of the title of the book and explaining things a little bit where we're going, I'm going to be taking a little bit more out of the first couple of chapters of the book today than I normally would. And so the messages are going to complement that, but be on the same theme every single week that we go through the small groups. And so we look at chapter 8, and one of the stories I tell in the book was a time when I was out with a very good friend of mine on the lake, and our families were together, and we were kind of uh, by ourselves a little bit. One of my, my closest friends, I knew he had a tough year. And so I asked him, I said, how are things going with you, knowing that I felt like he would open up to me. And during the year, his wife, first of all, broke her ankle, and then he had to become Mr. Mom, as well as work mainly from the home. This is before the pandemic, and everybody was working at home. So he had to work at home. And then he also had to take care of the kids and everything about that. But also, during that year, his mother... Uh, had a stroke, got sick, and because of that, she had memory loss, and she also had a behavioral change, and uh, it, it was just an opposite of what she was before, and I remember uh, looking over uh, the nursing home or the uh, assisted living home where he was going to have to move her. I happened to be there during that time, and all the, the trauma that he went through in his life, so close to his mom, during that year, his mom passed away. So it seemed like everything was kind of caving in on him during that year. And he said something to me. He said, you know, I know God's my heavenly father, but if he's my father, I sure treat my kids a lot better than he treats his. He was angry. And you said, well, that's kind of a blasphemous statement. I really don't think it is because I think God wants us to be very honest with him. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to preach a funeral of a young boy who died, who was a member of our church, who passed away. And because of his cancer, he got better for a while as we were praying for him. And then as the whole church was lifting him up in prayer, he took a turn from the worse, and then he passed away. And I remember the pastor before me getting up to, uh, to say something, a friend of the family, good man, really good man. And he said something to the effect, we can't question God. It is wrong to question God. God has his ways, et cetera, et cetera. Then I got up, and I, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I was, I was respectful to him. But I said, you know, sometimes we do have to ask the question of God. We have to question God. Because what happens, all of us come to those points in our life, kind of a crossroads. Things begin to cave in on us a little bit. Things happen. We say, well, God, you know, I prayed real hard. Not only that, but I was, felt like I was right with God. I felt like I was praying God's will. But you just, I don't know, you just seem to be absent. You seem to be silent. If you've lived long enough, you've been a Christian long enough, that kind of test is going to come your way. 
most Christians, I believe, either kind of walk away or they internalize it. And because you internalize it, you say, well, I can't, I can't question God. I can't come to my small group and say that, hey, I'm having a rough time and boy, I treat my kids a lot better than God treats his. You, you just feel like you can't say that because of what people might think of you or even what you think of yourself. So you internalize it and it becomes a, a root of bitterness in your heart sometimes against God. And let's face it, our problems are at the very root of it is, is our relationships, especially our re relationship with God. We're so, we're so much alike God. The Bible says that God created us in his likeness but we're more dislike God than we are like God. Now, you just take your spouse, for example, your relationship with your spouse. Somebody says, yes, I understand my husband perfectly. Another said, no, I understand my wife better than I understand she understands me. Nobody ever says that. You're like the guy that was given a, a prayer from God, and God said, look, I'll, he's, he lives in Los Angeles. He says, I'll give you anything that you want. He says, okay, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, and so if you would build, a, you know, you know God, I'm afraid of flying. So if you'd build a bridge from Los Angeles to Hawaii where I can go, well, that's what I'd like. And God said, look, if I did that, I would upset the sea life and I'd have to drive those pilings down below the ocean floor, upset that the rippling effect all throughout the earth would be tremendous. I, I just don't think I need to do that. He said, what else would you wish for or, or pray for? And he said, well, I really like to understand women. And uh, God said, well, how long, how wide did you want that bridge? And so we think about that, but even, even our, our family, other family members, we have trouble communicating with our teenager, our teenager with us. And think about it for just a moment. We're more alike, even as men and women, we are more alike than we are different. And yet it's hard to carry on. It takes intentional effort to carry on a relationship with one another. What about an animal? You know, some of you have, how many, how many of you have dogs here? Cats. All right, cats. Well, I'm, okay. <clears throat> Sorry about that. No, I shouldn't say that. You can tell I'm a dog guy, right? We have a dog at home, has absolutely no communication skills whatsoever. I have no idea what she's barking about. I can't interpret that. And when you talk to your dog or your cat, you say, oh, you know, Fido, would you like a little food? Do you need a little water? Would you like to go out? All they hear is blah, 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 blah. There's no communicating with them. Why? Because you're more different than you are alike. Now, you think about if an animal's here and you're here and there's a difference there and you have trouble communicating in a relationship, how much more difficult do you think it should be for us to try to communicate with a God that's infinite, that's so far out of the realm of who we are and more dislike us than is like us, how difficult that is and how intentional it needs to be. Therefore, how can we understand God? How can we really come to grips with what is going on in our lives and what he is doing in our life? I wrote a book a couple of years ago called uh, Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. We're going over that as a series of messages now. And the problem that we have, we can't internalize. We can't internalize our doubts with God. They must be addressed. Otherwise, it's going to affect us down the road. As we look at this passage in Luke chapter 8, we find, um, in fact, the, the uh, song we just sang a few moments ago, Peace Be Still, could have been just written right from, probably was inspired by this passage. It's so close. It says this, and one day 
Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side. This is in verse uh, 22. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they set out to the other side of the lake. And as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him up and saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. In Mark's gospel, in fact, this passage is in three out of the four gospels. That's how important it was and how it stuck in the memory of the writers of the New Testament. In the book of Mark, it says, don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? that the commands, that he even commands the winds and water, and they obey him. They had no idea who they were walking with, even to this point. Now, as we open up this passage, we understand that Jesus had already performed some miracles. Keep that in mind. He was also teaching them a lot of things. So they had faith. They should have had faith. And he was saying, look, use the faith that you have, that you have been blessed with. Now, what does this passage mean? I've heard preachers say before, oh, he's going to calm every storm. Man, he's going to turn every hurricane. Is he going to turn the two hurricanes that are coming our way and the two right behind it? What about hurricanes in the past? Well, he has turned some, and I believe it's because of the prayers of the saints, but others he hasn't turned so much out into the ocean. What does this mean, that God's going to calm? What, what is he talking about here? How can we apply it? Something that really happened what can we do about it? I want to look at three points. Number one, the condition of spiritual vertigo. I want to define what we mean by that and our doubts and the causes of it and finally the counsel of it. Notice the condition. We see them on the Sea of Galilee and all around it are cities and towns. And I've been on the Sea of Galilee before and it's 700 feet below sea level. That's important to realize when you realize Mount Hermon was about 30 miles away is 9,200 feet above sea level. And so with all the mountains, especially that one, it causes a wind funnel to go through. And it's really, when you have a storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake, you have really kind of hurricane force winds, at least hurricane force water. I remember when we were in the Holy Land one year and uh, we were supposed to go out on a boat. Part of the Holy Land trip, you go out on a boat where Jesus was and um, you saw maybe where he walked on the water and things like that. And so we were supposed to go out that day. And they said, look, if we go out today, we'll all die. Because the wind is so rough and the sea is so rough. We're going to turn, the, it'll just turn over. And so it's a rough time. And so when they're out there, and they're not trying to exaggerate. You know, don't you care that we're dying and they're just kind of floating along on a lake. No, these were winds and waves that were filling up the boat. And the chances of them dying were pretty high. And so they were looking to Jesus, and he says, Lord, we're going we're gonna to perish here. Now, I want you to notice something about this. There was a promise here that they were banking on. It's not that Jesus is going to calm every storm automatically in our life, and we'll never have a problem in life. The reason why he was questioning their faith is that when he called them into ministry, he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They were believing that they were following the Messiah. They were following the one that was going to make the difference. And all this difference 
And all these promises look like we're going to end up on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And so there was the problem. problem, and, and there was a promise here. And now they were looking at Jesus and saying, look, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you understand that everything that you stand for is going to be at the bottom of the sea? And he looks at him and said, look, I've made these promises to you. I've made these promises to you. Where is your faith? So we look at this and we ask ourselves the question, what is this spiritual vertigo? Well, if you've ever had physical vertigo before, you can understand that it makes you dizzy. It makes you off balance in your life. And so what happens is that your brain really can't process what your eyes are seeing. I've had that this so severely at one point. I was sent to the hospital and I've had it periodically since then. My brother-in-law, who was in the ministry for over 30 years, recently had to retire early because he couldn't stand up in the pulpit consistently. He has vertigo so badly. It's a physical condition where your brain, your eyes see something, but your brain is not properly processing it. So spiritual vertigo, as we define it today, would be that your faith cannot process what you are seeing, hearing, or experiencing. You know what the Bible says. You, you know what the Bible promises. And yet the life that you're leading, at least at this moment, does not seem to bear that out. You prayed for something. You claimed a promise of God. You felt like you were praying in the will of God, walking with God. He didn't have your back. He just was absent. He was silent in the whole thing. And you think, I just can't process that. Your faith can't see it. And your faith can't hear it. And you're not experiencing. Psalm 73, 2 said this. But it's for me, when he's talking about his doubts, my feet had almost stumbled. Why? Because he was off balance. My steps had nearly slipped. The word slip means I was off balance. I was dizzy in the whole thing. Now, all of us have come to places in our life where we're like termites eating away at our faith. But we've also had a hurricane type of experience. We've said, God, you, you've always come through for me. Boy, this has just been great. It's been wonderful. I've had to wait on it sometimes. But now, all of a sudden, you've got a deadline. You prayed for something, and God said no, and it threw you off your spiritual balance. It's like a tornado or hurricane hit you and, and blew you off your course. What do you do? How do you do that? Well, let me just say that you are not alone. I was um, reading a book by Philip Yancey not too long ago, and uh, uh, someone wrote him a little letter based on what a previous book he had written, and here's what it said. I've been going through an enormously difficult couple of years. At times, it seems, I will crack beneath the pressure. All this has shaken my faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm still trying to pick up the pieces of a once unshakable faith. I find myself asking the question, not is God or Jesus Christ for real, but is my faith and what is called a personal relationship truly authentic? You notice what it says in there. I'm having trouble with how God's dealing with me. I just don't understand it. It's not communicating. I look back on all I've said and done in regards to him and wonder, did I really mean what I was saying? I mean, how can I say I have faith in God when constantly I wonder if he's really there? Doubting, seriously, in unbelief here. I hear of people praying for things, that God told them this or that, but I find myself saying those are spiritual things. I'm only trying to impress someone else. 
and being plainly dishonest. It makes me sick to my stomach to think of it. I keep asking myself, when will I get it? When will these things click for me? What is wrong with me? Maybe you have felt or are even feeling that way now. You're experiencing that spiritual vertigo. But how do we deal with that? Well, first of all, I want us to look at, really just kind of review very quickly, the causes of it. Think about it for just a moment. What you see, what's, what was going on here in the passage? They were seeing the waves, just like what we sang about a few moments ago. They were seeing the waves around them, not looking at Jesus. We see the waves around us, and they cause us to fear just like the disciples were fearing. We fear about different things. We fear for our kids. We feel fear for our provision in life, in our family in life. We fear for failure. One of the biggest fears that we face, besides death itself, is failure and how we're going to look at ourselves and how other people are going to look at us. And so we look and we pray and we pray and we think, well, God delivered me before over and over and over. And all of a sudden, boom, what's wrong with me? What's, what's wrong with my life? We also about the things we hear. We don't hear the praises quite enough of people. I mean, after all, you get in a small group and this one person opens up to you, or opens up to the group and say, this is how things are going with me. And you pray for them. And the last thing you want to do is say, well, let me tell you what God did for me this week. And another, oh, let me tell you what God, and all of a sudden, the room is filled with three or four or five answers to prayer, and then you feel even worse about your own life. And so people just don't do it. So what you hear sometimes is the negative. And of course, what you experience as well. And let me say this to you. I am not discounting anything that you're experiencing at all, and I don't believe God does either. I believe that what you're experiencing may indeed be the truth, whatever it is. It's just not the whole truth. Os Guinness, philosopher and Christian theologian, said this. What you're experiencing may be true, but it's not the whole truth. Only God knows the whole truth. But as Philip Yancey has said, disappointment with God comes when the actual experience of something falls short of the expectation. So what are we expecting? You see, those are really the felt needs, aren't they? See, hear, experience. But what is the cause? You know, we, we sometimes see the same things. We hear the same things everybody else hears. We're experiencing the same things. And this person has great faith, and, and you just feel like you're falling apart. And you're just playing an act. You're going through the motions. What's the difference? Well, there's some heart problems, heart reasons. One is, let me ask you the question, what do you want? Whatever you're praying for, whatever you're wanting out of life, what do you want and why? Do you want it? Sometimes, even though we don't want to use God as a genie in a lamp, we don't. We don't even think about that. We, we still kind of do. Because we want God to somehow answer our prayer. And we just think, God, if you answer this prayer or do this for me, then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be satisfied with life. And what you're saying is, I need a thing in my life or someone in my life in order to be satisfied because I'm not completely satisfied with you. You see, it's a matter of who the God is, what your treasure is in life, and what you're praying for. Remember the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the three uh, Hebrew children, as they call them, in Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, they were supposed to kneel down, everybody in the kingdom was supposed to kneel down and worship Nebuchadnezzar, the king, as God. 
and they just wouldn't do it. Even had a statue to him, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, bow down to it. And says, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And they said, well, you, you're going to have to. And if God wants to rescue us from this furnace, he will. But even if, even if he does not, I'm still not going to bow down to the statue. We're still going to worship God. Even if. Remember the song by Mercy Me. Even if. I think that was a story somebody said about one of them losing a, a child at birth. Even if, God. Yes, I, I'm going through all kinds of turmoil in life. I don't understand anything. But God, this is what I want. But even if you don't give it to me, I'm still going to worship you. What's the motive behind what you want? Do you want something more than you want God? I shared with you the story about being healed, of being a diabetic back when I was 22. It's in the book. You can read that. But one of the things I've reflected back over the years about that prayer versus a lot of my other prayers is that in that prayer, I was an even if. In fact, I didn't even ask for it uh, and right off the bat. God laid it on my heart. I'd never prayed to be healed of that to, to my remembrance. And he laid it on my heart to pray for that. And I, and I did but I thought to myself, even if he doesn't, it's okay. I'm still going to worship him. I wish I could say all my prayers are like that, but they haven't been. And so it's what we want, but it's also how we live. It's how we are living in life. The Bible says for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. What's first in your life? When God is first in your life, you're going to want to live a holier life. You're going to want to live with him. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, it says that, it's not that God's hand's too short, that he can't reach out to you, or his ear, that he cannot hear you. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. It says in 1 John 3, and whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. He said, well, I think I do that, Pastor. Well, you know, I, I kind of think I do that too, most of the time. You know, we all have clay feet. But sometimes here's what we do. I think that what we do is, is look at our neighbor and look at the person beside us and think, you know, I'm doing better than him. I'm, I'm holier than the guy across the street or in the cubicle beside me at work or the student at the next desk. I'm doing better than them. So I'm doing pretty well because I don't do that. A couple of guys and I are going through a book together, kind of a, it's not a mentoring thing, it's just sort of a, a sharing time, but we're going through a book by R.A. Torrey uh, called um, The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power. It's a great book, a little, little small book, written in 1904. So you can imagine the difference in outlook in life. And he has one chapter about walking with God and about being holier and he mentions some real legalistic stuff that we would consider legalistic today and they should have been considered legalistic back then, including playing cards, you know? You know, I, I don't know why, why you would be unright with God by playing gin rummy or something, you know what I'm saying? But nevertheless, he, he mentioned some things like that, and we, we kind of laughed at that, all three of us. Man, you know, if you were, were to preach something like that today, man, how legalistic is that? But it was sin back in their day. They thought it was, and so I guess, you know, it would have been a violation of their conscience, but one thing, and with all my laughter about all that, I had to admit one thing. R.A. Torrey, who wrote a book, more than one book on prayer, has had a lot more answers than I've had. That book is filled with miracles. And I'm thinking to myself, 
well, God, where am I right now? Am I just comparing myself to everybody else? Or am I really asking you, God, what is it in me that's keeping me from getting that answer? Sometimes it's how we live, folks. It's just how God is getting our attention to bring us to a step of getting up a little higher. We say, well, God, I was way down here when I got saved. Now I'm here. I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting tired of changing. I'm getting tired of sermon after sermon convicting me about something a little here, a little there. I'm, I'm good where I am. I'm, I'm a lot better than most. And here's where God wants us to be. And the gap's there, and God says, I've got to get your attention again. And so I'm not going to answer that prayer until you come right with me. Now, that's another reason. But then it's where we, I think it's where we look. When we look at the circumstances of life, we wonder where, where's the hope of it all. Jesus, you're just asleep on the job. You're uncaring. Don't you care what I'm going through in life? Don't you care that I lost my mom, my dad? Don't you care what they're going through in life? Don't you care about my children and what they're experiencing in life? God, it just seems like you're silent. You're, you're absent. And Jesus says, where's your faith? Why would he say that? Because of the things that he'd already done. And I know how it goes. Well, God, I know that you saved me. I know you did this. I know you did that. But God, I've never been through the pandemic before. I've never been through a, a virus like this before. Are you going to bring us through this time? God, I've never been through a situation like this on my job before. I've never done this. So are you going to deliver? I know you've delivered in the past. But what about now? You see, faith stands in attention between the no longer and the not yet. You read the Old Testament prayers, and when I was a young Christian, I used to think that all that praising, you know, they always start off the Old Testament prayers with a lot of praising, and God, you've done this, and you've delivered us from that, and I thought, oh, they're, they're buttering up God before they come up, you know, with a big punch. And so that's how I learned how to pray. You've got to butter up God first. Well, they weren't buttering up God. What they were doing was reminding themselves about all the things that God has done and so they were building their own faith. It stands in a tension between the no longer and the not yet. What has God done for you in the past? Well, if he saved you, if you know that Jesus Christ lives in your heart, you've experienced the greatest miracle known to mankind in the history of mankind. What about all the other prayers that he's answered for you? And you say, well, oh, pastor, they're just so little, little here, little there. What about the big ones? Well, I'm with you. I want the big ones. But the little ones... They help. I remember a time when I was at uh, Coal Falls College, a student there, and back before the flood, well, the creek's still there, and they, they replenished it and made it better. But back then, the creek just ran through the, right in the back of the campus and then along the side of the campus. Oh, over here to my left, as I was sitting there beside the creek, uh, Mr. Evie's house, the dean of men, you go around, and there was a residence row. All those houses were wiped out by the flood, but this was before the flood. I'm sitting there and just kind of thinking and just a great time watching the, the little uh, creek uh, go down in the rocks and just a great noise. You know what I'm saying. And it was getting uh, near dark, and I said, well, I, I need to go. And so I jumped up real quick, and a, my contact lens, hard lenses, okay, fell out, hit my shirt, fell out on the ground, not the creek, just the ground in the pine straw. He said, no big deal, just go get you another contact. You know, what, 20 bucks? Well, not back then. And I didn't have any glasses. I hadn't had a pair of glasses at the time since I was in sixth grade. And so I had no glasses, I had no spare pair of contact lenses, and may I say, I was a student. I was a student with no money, 
working my way through school. And I said, God, I've got to find that thing. I've lost him before. I've found him before. But I've never had this to look in before. And so I'm looking, I'm looking. It's kind of getting dark. And so a couple of, guys, a couple of my friends are walking by, and they said, uh, what's going on? I told them. And one went in the room, just the dorm was right there in front of me. He went in, got a flashlight, came out, and we started looking. By the time he got out there, it was really dark. And so we're looking around, and I'm, I'm ready to give up. You know, I'll just use one for a while. That's, that's a weird experience, by the way, but I'll just use one for a while. Done it before. And uh, one guy said, well, before we leave, let's pray. Well, that's a novel idea. You know, in a Bible college, you, you know, it's a good thing to do is to pray. It's what you're supposed to do, right? And so I got to admit, my faith wasn't real strong at this point. Um, I've, I've dealt with this lost contact lens too many times. But the guy prayed, a really heartfelt prayer. The other guy had a flashlight. One other guy had a flashlight. And my friend who was right over here, Jim, had a, um, a little twig in his hand that he just picked up right before he started praying. He was just holding it in his hand. And it was about this thick, about as thick as this pen, and about this long. And he was just holding it there, right there in front of me. And the flashlight happened to be hitting on that right as he said, this guy, other guy said, amen. And so I said, there's something shining on the end of that. And I reached over and I took the contact lens right off the end of the stick, right after he said, amen. You say, well, that's no big deal. Well, it was a big deal to us. And I tell you why it was a big deal. It wasn't God parting the Red Sea, building a bridge to Hawaii. But think about how a rip, the rippling effect those big prayers really cause in the world. God was telling the four or five of us friends, centered around there, I'm still with you. I'm still there for you. You say it was like finding a needle in a haystack. I beg your pardon. A needle is silver. This is clear. <laughs> and so it was, it was a miraculous thing. But it was small. But maybe that's where our faith was. It was just small. And in order to grow it, it takes answers to prayer in a small way. So what's the counsel today? What's the counsel? Well, let's look at this passage. First of all, we need to look to Jesus and our circumstances. Look what they said. He said they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they were beginning to realize who they were dealing with. And it says this. They were afraid and they marveled, saying, they were in awe, saying to one another, who then is this? Great question. That he commands even the winds and water and they obey him. Here was the hurricane, you might say, coming along. And he just stands up and calms everything. It, it says, it, the indication here is the calming is that the sea all of a sudden was like glass. Everything was quiet. The wind that comes in a hurricane or a strong storm is an unmovable force. Un, it, it's unmanageable. That's the best way to put it. The wind is unmanageable. The weather man can tell you what the hurricane's going to do, when the storm's going to come and make a good guess. But he can't stop it. He can't move it to the east or to the west. Only God can do that. And it was a marvelous thing. It was an, it was an awesome thing that was happening. And the question was asked, wow, here's one unmanageable force, Jesus Christ overcoming another unmanageable force. Who is this? Well, he's the Christ. Found out he was the son of God. Remember what Peter said. 
He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's Lord over the universe. He's the son of God, the holy one, the son of the most high. You say, well, that's, where, that's what he was when he was on earth. What about now? What, what, what is Jesus like now? Did you know there's a passage in the Bible that tells us what Jesus is like right now? Over in the book of Revelation, when John had that great vision of the Lord and talked in those seven letters to the seven churches, and then the scroll was opened and the end time events were revealed. It says in verse 8 of chapter 1, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He said, then I turned to the voice that's speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those are the seven churches. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. This long robe has to do with him being our priest today, as well as our judge and evaluator. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a burning flame. This White hair was a sign of purity. He's pure. The eyes of fire. He knows everything. In fact, he can penetrate our hearts with the eyes of fire. The voice, it says in the next verse, it says, his feet were burnished bronze. Burnished bronze, by the way, is a symbol of judgment. So he's evaluating our lives, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. You want to hear the voice of God? You're, you're quiet. You're be still before the Lord. The, the Lord can roar into your brain, roar into your heart. His voice roars like the sound of many waters. His right hand, he holds seven stars from the mouth and came a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word of God. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That's his face giving light to all who come to him. Here was Jesus Christ. Not only was he the one who died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day, ascended up into heaven. But now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and this is who he is. He is the almighty God. That's the one who saved us. That's the one who serves, that we serve. That's the one who's going to take us to heaven one day. That's who Jesus is. And we need to trust then in his promises. He said, well, that's what I do. I trust, what well, did he promise? Sometimes, I know in my own life, I think the things that I want, I want to turn into some sort of promise. Suppose I, uh, suppose you told me, you know, Masters Tournament pastor's coming up in, in November, and I just happen to have two tickets, and I'm thinking, oh, you're going to take me. And you say, and, and my wife and I are going to really enjoy it. And I say to you, well, could you get me a couple of tickets? Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard ticket, and it is. Uh, very difficult to get. One of the most hard, of the most hard tickets in sports, sort of like the Super Bowl uh, to get. But I'll see what I can do. But, you know, I don't, I'm not holding out any much hope. So I, my wife and I buy our gear and we get our master's hat, you know, and we're all ready to go. And, hey, where are my tickets? You said you were going to get me tickets. No, I, I didn't say I was going to get you tickets. You mean you didn't get them? No, I couldn't get them. You promised. Did he promise? No. How can I hold him accountable for a promise that he never made? We look at the promises and realize in our passage today, there, there was a promise, a huge one. You come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You come and follow me, some of you are going to be sitting on my right hand in heaven. Some on the left. You're going to make a difference. We're going to overcome. We're going to bring salvation to the world. 
And the promise was there, and they didn't believe the promise. They thought all the promises, along with Jesus, along with their lives, are going to end up at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. So we claim. We, how do we know what the promises are? We look into the Bible and read them. And dear friends, sometimes as we look, we, we have to be patient. You know, sometimes our problem, it's not a lack of faith, it's a lack of patience. It's a lack of seeing the big picture of what God's going to do. And I know catastrophic things have happened before, and God has really delivered in a big way. I recall uh, the story that uh, Ravi Zacharias tells, the late evangelist, and he, he had a letter written to him, and he said this man, he held his name and just called him, uh, I think, Harold, and he said that he, he lost some of his uh, family over in England. And so he, he took a boat, went to England, and while, before he got to the shore, some kind of ship that was kind of like a pirate ship, really, uh, attacked them, and then the British fleet came and arrested them all. And he wound up in prison. They just, they just put them all together. Wound up in prison. He said he's treated awfully. This was back in a long time ago. Awful, awful times. He, he met one guy that had spent seven years in prison, I think for stealing a candy bar or something. And he said, look how people are, they're not fed right. They're not, they don't have enough water to drink. The, the conditions here are deplorable. Well, he eventually, well, too much time, got out of prison and made the mission of his life to improve, to improve conditions in the English prisons. Over and over and again, he'd go to Parliament with a new bill, a new proposal, a new proposal. So much so that the prison um, ministry there have a statue to him today. He changed people's lives. Bad things happened, but the rippling effect was something really great. You have to wait on the Lord. You have to be patient with the Lord. So we look and we understand that we do come to a crossroads. We do come to places in our life every once in a while that do cause us to make choices in life. Are we just going to bury something? Are we going to just walk away from God? What are we going to do? I read a book back in college and probably at that in fact, I can say at that time in my life, it meant more to me than any other book I've ever read except for the Bible. And it's called The Pursuit of God, written by A.W. Tozer. And in that little book, he brings out an illustration, many of you know about it, about Abraham being told by God in Genesis 22 to go and sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. And that was a picture of the father sacrificing his son on the altar. And of course, we know the story that Abraham was willing to do it, believing that God was going to raise Isaac up from the dead, but he didn't have to do it at all. God just stopped him. But he says, now I know you have your heart. I have your heart because of what you were willing to do. And Tozer said this. He said, all of us, like Abraham, have times in our life where we come to a crossroads. When we come to that crossroads, there's not going to be a lot of choices. There are going to be two choices. The right road, the wrong road. The godly road, and the easy road. And sometimes we come and we don't almost know which one it is, but yet we do. And all of us come, not every day, but just sometimes in our life. Trials that are so heavy, 
hurricanes that are so rough in our emotions that we come to the crossroads of life. Are we going to go with God or are we going to go the other way? Believing that we have somehow, I don't know, been duped by God because not just a lack of faith, but maybe a lack of patience as well. And all of us come to that crossroads as I have. And I'm sure some of you already have. And sometimes it's two or three, four or five times in a lifetime. But it's not every day. Are you coming to that crossroads now? Are you at that crossroads where you think, oh, it's just so heavy on me. I've got to decide which way. And I promise you, no decision is just as bad as going the wrong way. What is it that you are going to do? And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in the crossroads for you right now as it was with me when I was 16 years old. Am I going to receive Jesus or not? Which road am I going to take? You're at the crossroads. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he's calling on us to invite Jesus to come into our heart and life. If you've never made that decision, let me encourage you to make it today. Today needs to be that day. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in the quietness of this moment, if that's your prayer today, to invite Jesus into your heart, pray this prayer with me right now as I pray aloud. You can pray. Just repeat after me. Lord God, I come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you that he rose again on the third day. And he did this for me to cover my sins. I surrender my heart to you today. I humble myself at the foot of the cross. And I ask you to come into my heart. <clears throat> Forgive me of my sins. And help me on that road to trusting you where I can follow the one who is so powerful, even the winds and the waves obey him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.